Just happy that you're here with us here as we continue in the book of Titus, and we will be picking right back up where we left off last week uh, in Titus. If you were with us, uh, we took the, uh, the end of chapter 1 of Titus, so we'll be picking up here in chapter 2. We'll take just verses 1 through 10. That will be enough to make sure we get here because we have communion as well today. And so we want to have plenty of time to do that. If you would, please, again, Titus chapter 2. And let's uh, just read the 10 verses and then we'll pick back up here. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. To be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, good, obedient to their husbands, their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity and reverence and incorruptibility sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Father, we thank you for this morning. And as we open up your word and allow, we pray, Lord, that we would just not hinder your Holy Spirit that lives within us as believers to have his way with our lives, with our minds, our hearts. Change us by your word. If there's anyone here today, Lord, that does not know you, or maybe has been backslidden and has now just coming back for the first time, may you just, by your spirit, just put them at ease. But again, have, they have ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for them, that you would speak of your love and your grace and your mercy in their lives, and that they too would just surrender all, repent of anything that needs to be repented of, Surrender all. We will surrender everything at your, at your feet this moment as we would want nothing to hinder your spirit of speaking to our hearts. We thank you and praise you for what you're going to do in and through and by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We ended last week in chapter 1, verse there at the last few verses, 14 through 16. And we saw that Paul gives Titus clear commandments from the Lord of what he's supposed to be teaching the people. And when you take a look at those commandments there seen in verse 14, he emphasized the point that they must stay away from the Jewish or possibly the Gnostic influences that included Acidic type rules and regulations that were developed by man of the way they're supposed to eat or the way they're supposed to dress, or the way their purification process was to take place. All of these matters are external rules and traditions that Paul was warning Titus about that was infiltrating back into the church. And those things that are not of God, that were of man, were not to creep back into the church and put the people back under religion versus a, regarding a relationship with Jesus. But it could not be relationship with Jesus and all these religious rules. That is not the way it works. It's by grace and grace alone and your faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross 
for you personally. And when you believe, when you've trusted your life in the fact that he has paid for the penalties of your sins on the cross, you have been set free and been given eternal life. You've been born again. There would be a regeneration. A change would have taken place in your life without a question. People who question, ah, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Do you remember the day of your salvation? It should be as clear as can be for you. The change that took place. And no longer accepting and desiring the sins of the world or the flesh. But now you desire the things of God and you cannot get enough of knowing who God is and wanting more of God in your life. That is an indication that your life has been changed. So why would you allow any of the even religious things that you were taught that were hindering you from that relationship with God? The legalism that you were brought up in. Or in some cases you were not brought up into anything regards to God. You were actually encouraged not to even think about God. But those are in the past. Those are no longer, Paul says to Titus, and Titus needs to make sure he emphasizes that to the people that says, no, now live for Christ, follow Christ, keep your eyes on Christ, and be set free. But we see at the very end, Paul sets this matter straight by reminding his readers of the Lord's teaching that purification is largely a matter of an internal internal, inner man, inner woman, rather than external. How religion plays, it's all external. But God says it's about the heart, it's about the internal. Nothing outside can corrupt one who is eternally pure. But someone who is eternally impure corrupts all he touches. The problem with these false teachers that were creeping back into the church was the fact that they were on the inside in their minds and their consciences. We saw in verse 15, they were impure. They were defiled. They were wrong attitudes, wrong thinking, wrong hearts. And they had this form of godliness, Paul says, but they professed to know God. But their actions... The way they lived their lives completely contradicted the faith in Jesus Christ. They literally were living a completely different life. We call it carnality. But as a result, even though they claim to know, these false teachers know and follow God, their corrupt actions actually contradicted their true character of the inner man. We see in 1 John 2.4, he who says, I know God and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. How much clearer can you be? Their impure inner man then made them externally, Paul says in verse 16, abominable. It means in the Greek, detestable. In their actions toward God. They were disobedient in their actions. They disqualified or unfit, we see there in verse 16, for doing anything good. Today, Paul continues in his instructions to Titus for the people in the church there. And uh, in instructing him and understanding and making a very key and strong contrast with these false teachers that were creeping in. And he says, and we, it starts again in the section of chapter 1 of Titus. It's about leadership and having strong leadership within the church to instruct the people and help the people to apply God's word in a way that is good and right. That is sound doctrine or healthy doctrine. So here Paul, uh, Titus continues to be addressed by Paul here in this letter of teaching right living. And he's going to address five different groups in the church. You may have picked up on them in reading these ten verses. We see here in Titus 2 verse 1, he says, But as for you. Now keep in mind, Paul did not write chapters and verses. This is one continuous letter. 
The Holy Spirit gave him the words and he wrote down the chapters uh, and verses were added later for clarity. So as we got done just talking about these false teachers and what they were like, their character, not in what they said so much, even though that actually discriminated them. I mean, it made them defiled because their words were not were going against the, the word of God. But their actions and everything lined up with it to a level of the fact that it was an abominable, abominable and dis, disobedient and disqualifying them or unfit to do anything good. But he Paul says to Titus, but, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Sound doctrine, the, the word sound in the Greek is also the word healthy here. Healthy doctrine or healthy teaching. Don't be like the false teachers, uh, Titus. These false teachers are not teaching. What they're teaching is not healthy for the people. It's not good. It's not right. This is going to hurt their lives. It's going to put them under a bondage of legalism. It's going to put them under a bondage of, of man-made traditions and the things that are going against, the, uh, against God. So don't be teaching those. Don't get wrapped up into that false teaching. That's why we know and we see in the scriptures, we must be careful of who we're listening to if they're going against the word of God or adding or deleting from the word of God. You are not to listen to those teachers. But here, Titus sets, is, is set apart from the people that's described here in Titus 1, the false teachers, and may, who are teaching these fables, teaching legalism, teaching them all this bondage. But Paul says you must not do these things. These things that you're supposed to do is to properly teach sound doctrine. It's the idea of the phrase has to do with right living not just right thinking. We can't escape this. We can't escape. The Bible is a book that tells us how to live. Do you understand that? The Bible teaches us how to live. It is the most ultimate hypocrisy, I believe. For you to say that you believe that the Bible is true and from God, but then do not live it. That is the ultimate hypocrisy. Do you understand that, my brothers and my sisters? Don't sit there and say you know the Bible, you love the Bible, you know it came from God, and you don't read it and let alone apply it to your lives. That is ultimate hypocrisy. You're only hurting yourselves. We learn it not because it's a religious ritual thing we do, come on Sundays and sit and listen to the teaching, because that's what I've always done in my religion. That's religiosity. We come here because God has allowed us to gather together his people, you and I as believers, to gather together to help through the power of the Holy Spirit to be taught, to be equipped, to be... To actually, and some of you are coming to a hospital because you need to be bandaged up really bad. You're a bloody mess. Some of you are so solid and so strong and doing so well, you, you, you want to be around people so that God can use you to help others. For some of you, you are so lonely and so desperate. And so confused because the enemy in the world has been beating you up so badly. You don't know what's up and down or right or left. You're just absolutely been spinning on the merry-go-round. You got to get off the merry-go-round. You got to get off the, the roller coaster. And you come here because you're just finding, want to find rest for your soul, for peace. You just, it is, the world is bad, is ugly. And many times, for whatever reason you're here, just you know you're coming here because God has led you here and he wants to do a fresh work in your life. Allow him to do that. But we must understand that the Bible is God's word. And it's true. And we must apply it. We must apply it. 
We must continue to keep showing up regardless of how you feel to learn how to apply it, to learn what the Bible says. Until you get, to, so you turn from being a baby where you're being fed all the time to now being fed, but you're getting the meat and you're able to go home and just be in the word and hear what the Lord is speaking to you about and it will transform your mind and heart. Paul simply wants Titus to fulfill the command of Jesus. We see in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and what? Make disciples. And then we see in verse 20, what does he say? Teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. It's pretty simple. That's what Paul is trying to teach Titus, who then says, Titus, go and teach the people. They need to go and disciple people up by the word of God. You need to instruct them, to help them apply it to their lives, for them to have a sound life, a, a, a foundation in their life that will not be shaken by the things of this world, not be shaken by the changes of the seasons. And seasons could be of age. Seasons could be of, of just being a young woman or an or, or a older man or a, whatever stage of life you're in. We will see that they're to be taught. Each and every group of us need to be taught by the word of God to help us through that part of our season. And he starts here in verse 2 of 2. It says that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith and love and patience. So we see here the very first thing that Paul tells Titus to teach is a certain group of people within the church. That first group of people are the older men. What do you mean by older men? <laughs> Just the ones with the silver hair or the lack of hair? No. Remember, during that period of time, that older men would have been 40 years or older. Back then, it was a much younger, older population, if that made sense. We didn't, you didn't sit there and go, oh, that means they're the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. No, no, no. Yes, it included them, but it included those who were in the 40s. That you are to, when you come in, young Titus, young Pastor Titus, you are to interact with the older men. And it can be either way, as a, as a young pastor, are you going to avoid the older men because they intimidate you? Or are you going to uh, make, them, make the older men feel uncomfortable because you think you're smarter and younger and smarter than all of them? Either way, Titus, that is not how you are to deal with the older men within the congregation. You're supposed to teach them, Titus, to come along with these older men and you need to make sure and encourage them to be sober. The word here, the Greek word here, means no wine. It means not drinking. The older men in the congregation cannot be slobbering, incoherent older men within the congregation. Older men should not be drinkers and out of their, out of their mind and not have clear minds because God wants to use the older men to lead within the congregation as well. You don't get to a certain age and say, hey, I've been serving God for the last 20 years. Let the younger ones now do it. It's my time to sit back and do nothing. That is not biblical if it's in your head. Get that out of your head. It's not biblical. You're to serve until he takes you home. Are you with me? Now, I'm being gentle. I really am. You should, I had a whole lot of another conversation about that one. But he says, you, Timothy... I'm sorry, Titus, you really, you really have to teach the older men they, they need to be sober. They can't be drunkards. They can't be always drinking. It's not helpful. It's not good. Also, reverent. You need to deal with this, Titus. You need to go in and make sure the older men understand that you to respect them be respectful to them when you're teaching them you need to make sure they understand as an older man you should have a seriousness about you you can't be like a child playing games and video games and acting like there's no care of the world and you just want to go out and play 
Why? Because you're older now and you have money. You've had a job, you have money, and you saved money. So now you want to buy the car and you want to buy the trips and you want to do everything you want to, you want to live your youth again. No, no, you're to be reverent, serious about life, understanding because you're drawing closer to the end of your life, you should be serious. Now, again, when you're 40, you're like, I've got a whole, whole life ahead of me still. But remember, back in these days, when you're 40s, you've probably survived a few wars, hand-to-hand combats. You're, you're, you didn't live past 40s in those days. So sometimes we sit there and say, hey, I'm 40. I'm, i got another 30, 40, 50 years. Like you have control over that or something. God determines when the end of your life will be on this earth. But it's to teach them. You need to be, they need to be reverent, respectful, serious, intemperate. It means the word here is important. It means self-controlled or carefulness. But self-control is important. By this time, when you're an older man, you should have self-control. You shouldn't be acting like you're some little teenager who's learning how to live. But self-control is very important to be in their lives. That is a behavior. That is an attitude. That is absolutely important that they work that out in their lives by the time they're an older man. Which when you read these things... That tells you just because you've gotten older doesn't mean you have self-control. Hello? That doesn't mean you're serious in your life, that you're careful. Older men, you must. You must stay sober. You must take things seriously in your life. Get your life in order if it's not. And you must, as Titus would tell the people, be temperate, be very, have self-control. That has to be developed in your life. Older men, they must also have stability and being stable in the right things. What are those right things they need to be stable in? Sound, healthy doctrine. <laughs> Older men, you better know the word. You better be on the path of learning the word if you haven't. You need to not only know it, apply it, and be ready to help train and teach someone else in it. That is what older men do. That's what leaders do in their homes. That's what they do in the church. That's what they do in the employee environments you work. By that time, of that age, you probably have employees and responsibilities, and you must take life seriously. Not doesn't mean you can't joke. It doesn't mean you can't have fun. It doesn't mean you can't be lighthearted and a love and stuff. That is not what he's saying here. Matter of fact, sound doctrine, it, it, it has to bring about a sound, healthy in faith. It means a faith that has to bring a stability in your life as an older man. You must have that. You must have God's truth giving you stability as an older man. You're all supposed to have, not only in faith, but you're supposed to have in love. That love word is agape, an unconditional love. Also, you must be sound in patience. Hupomoni, that's the Greek word here. That means a steadfast and active endurance. There's got to be an endurance and strength within your life as an older man that a younger man may not have yet. But that should describe you. It should be your character within your life. And if you're not there, take note as the Holy Spirit has revealed it to you. Now, take it and move forward in the right plan of action. Start moving forward as an older man and start implementing. If you don't know how to do that, like Titus, Pastor Titus, like me as pastor, we're here to instruct and train and help. We call it discipling you up in the faith so that you're sound, you're solid in the faith and in love and in patience. Now, as we get older, men, we tend to get hardened in our ways. 
And this is a good thing if we're hardened and we're, we're solid in the things that we know. As long as it's in the truth of God. As long as it's in love. As long as it's in patience, enduring patience in your life. You can harden that all day long. But if that's not you, then you need to change. You need to soften. And the Holy Spirit has a way of softening you, older men, to bring you through tests and trials and tribulations to break you, to soften you, so that the potter can fix that part of your life. Now we see in verse 3, he now speaks to the next group. And I, it's always hard, but the scripture is very clear. The older women. <laughs> Around these days we say mature women. <laughs> the more mature women. But the scripture, I have to read it, right? The older women. Likewise. Likewise what? You just learned what the men, the older men had to learn. That means women, this applies to you too. Likewise, women, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things that they admonish the young women, as you go into a little bit of verse 4. But that's who they are to admonish and, and train who's good things, the, admonish the, the younger women. We'll talk about that here in a little bit more. But the older women, likewise. So Titus had to give special consideration to the older men. Also, Titus must keep in mind how to approach older women in the congregation. They have their own set of temptations that older women are dealing with in their older age. And there's also opportunities that they are now having to work through or work and have opportunities to do for the Lord as well when they got older. But the main thing that Paul's telling Titus they need to come along these older women and, and to encourage them is that they need to be reverent in behavior and not slanders. These are two things of, of, of areas of their life that they must deal with as an older woman. The idea behind behavior includes a suggestion of how a woman carries herself in this older age of her life. It's a respectful behavior toward others is the most important thing that Titus needs to teach older women. First is not being slanders. It's the same word that we see here in the Greek of diablos, which means for devils. This behavior is not respectful or reverent as an older woman to be a slander toward others. They're not to be slandering. They're not to be gossiping. They're not to find opportunities and look for people's lives so that they can get into their, their life a little deeper to find the dirt or, or the scandals that are going on in and through their life or their families. That is unacceptable, older women. Or not to do that. Why is that being taught by Paul to Titus to the ladies of the older ladies. Why? Because the older ladies now have raised their families. They're, you were so consumed of taking care of the babies as now they have probably more free time on their hands and they're now having to sit there and they're finding this idle time in their life being filled and being tempted, which is a weakness of older women, it appears, to get in people's lives and be slanderers, gossipers. That should not happen. That cannot happen. Why? Because it will destroy a church. It destroys relationships. And the word, again, is very clear. Diablos means devils. It's, this, is, this, is, this is a real problem. That the older women face when they find their families grown, they're not sure what to do, and they get this idle time, and they get into the space. They kind of the husband is fine, whatever he's doing, and I've got kids, maybe grandkids may or may be there, but I am not day-to-day -day operations. I'm not having to worry about children. Now what do I do? The last thing you want to do 
is be in people's lives in a way that's not healthy, it's not good, it's slanderous, and it's disrespectful kind of behavior. Titus was to encourage these older women to be open and to sharing with younger women in the congregation to what is good. So how do you fill that void versus going around trying to find out everyone's business and slandering? No, that's not what you do. You be available so when God brings younger women into your lives that you're ready to do good things. What are those things? First of all, you're not drinking too much wine where you're just kind of laying around and incoherent and, and no ambition whatsoever. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. But you should be teachers, not teachers of it in the fact that you're teaching the word of God, but you're taking the word of God. And the word there for, and if, for teachers of good things is training good things. Training these admonishing or encouraging or, or helping women to understand in a loving way these young women how to be a young woman, how to be a wife, how to be a good, uh, you know, managing a household. These things, you've learned all the trials and errors and all the mistakes. Why would you want these younger women to make the same mistakes you made? You shouldn't have an attitude that says, well, they're going to have to figure it out themselves. You know, I screwed it up and lost a lot of money for the family and almost uh, divide and conquered the family and lost relationship. Well, they'll have to learn the things themselves. No, that is not biblical thinking. You're to sit there and say, I have something to share. So, Lord, if you bring a young woman into my life that I can disciple up and to encourage them when I hear that they've never canned before, be available, if you can, to come alongside and encourage them that they can do it. A little help, a little guidance and learning and, t- and, t- and helping them understand the do's and don'ts and where you so to help them not to make all the same mistakes that you made. Encouraging women, if they decide to homeschool, to come alongside and encourage them that, yes, you can do it. If the Lord is putting the desire in your heart to do it, let me show you and share some of the things. I understand your husband's always gone and how you deal with that. Let me share some of the things and what the word of God says. Let's be in a Bible. God wants you older women to be involved in the lives of the younger women. You don't force yourself upon them. You don't tell them, you're mine. And you're going to follow me. (laughs) That's not biblical. But God will do the work by bringing people into your lives as you fellowship as a church body. That means you have to be present. And all of a sudden, as you go about in your fellowship, you see how God, it may be only 30 seconds that you're teaching something for them because it comes up. Or it could be a longer conversation of training up. Either way, God is telling Titus to teach the older women to be prepared in this season of life. Don't be slanders. Don't be their behavior not being respectful to other people. Don't think you can, as an older woman, you can just say whatever you want to say to anybody in the congregation. That doesn't, just because you're older, doesn't give you the freedom to tell them whatever you want to say. You have to be led by the Holy Spirit. You must be loving and calm, just like the older men. Be in love. You've got to have a, a foundation in the faith. You have to have foundation in love. You have to have foundation in patience. These things are important to you as well, older women. But you also need to be careful because these things have a, there are some temptations that can happen. But think about the opportunities that you can help the younger women in their young lives. But we also see in verse at the end of the first four into five, the younger women. This is the things that older women are to teach younger women. You know, young, the young, the young women need to love their husbands. Older women, you could teach the younger women how to love their husbands, according to the word of God. They need to learn how to love their children. They, these young women need to learn to be discreet and chaste and and homemakers and good. Another word there is kind. Obedient to their own husbands. Notice here, own husbands. Not all husbands, just their own husband. 
that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So we see here that the young women, according to Paul's instructions, Titus was not to make young women his ministry. (laughs) As a young man, Titus was not to say, my number one priority in ministry is to teach just young women. (laughs) I'm there for you, young women. No, that's not how it was supposed to be. He was supposed to sit there and train up the older women to be able to prepare to teach the young women. That is who's supposed to be teaching younger women. So young women, if older men come around and think they're going to be part of helping you, tell them to get away. (laughs) You just bring another, you know, bring me in the bring me as a pastor into that conversation if you see an older man hanging around you. That shouldn't be happening. Trust me. I watch everybody. <laughs> Guys who come in, I watch everybody and where they're, 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 they're circling. So don't, don't think I don't notice these things. Instead, he was to equip and encourage the older women to teach the younger women. What are those things that they were to be taught? There were seven things, if you notice, when we read this. Because these young women need to know what it means to be a wife and a mother and, and, a, and just and a fellow sister in the ministry. Now, make sure it comes to my mind right now, what I am not saying is that younger women are not to be sitting here and learning from the pastor of the church. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that, yes, you're all here to learn as we teach the word, but when we're fellowshipping and getting together in groups and ladies' Bible studies, that is where the older women teach the younger women. That's why we want the younger women, which means at the age of accountability age, around that age 12 and 13, young ladies, they're, they're women, young women, need to be with the older women to learn. That's why we don't separate the youth outside of the adults because we want them to have their own fellowship as they gather together, but we want them to be part of all of those opportunities so that the younger women can watch the older women and say, they're crazy, you know. Those older women are crazy, but they're having a lot of fun, so it's not as boring as I thought it was going to be. And they have great food. But Titus was to teach these young women in a way by equipping the older women to teach the younger women. The godly older women have the responsibility of teaching younger women how to be successful wives, successful mothers, to be successful managers of the home. And the young women have the responsibility of listening and applying. That's their responsibility as a young woman, is to listen to the older women and apply the wisdom that God has given them through the life. And they're to love their husbands. That's absolutely absolutely important. They are also to love their children. They are to be instructed how to properly do that. God has given them a strategic place as a woman in the household. You have been given a strategic place in your life, a tremendous influence and assistance to your husbands and to your children to help them in life. God has given you that responsibility, and that's a tremendous responsibility because if you don't do it well, it will impact the family as a whole. Terribly or wonderfully. And that's why, as young women, you would want to get around wiser, older women who have successfully raised children and have been able to do very well, not only in their own careers, because remember, if you go back to Proverbs 31 woman, she had her own business. She was, I mean, I don't know how much time you can ever think of. But again, there's no limitations at all for a woman that God uses to do what he wants to do in and through her life. But here we see 
Why is it that Paul tells Titus to teach the older women, to teach the younger women, the importance to love their husbands? Now, the word love here is not agape. Nowhere do we see that women are told to love their husbands. Did you know that? It's only right here in this one spot. And this word means fond, being friendly. You must be a friend of your husband. You may be fond of your husband. Why does it not be agape? Why isn't this unconditional love? Because that is an inborn natural thing for a woman is to love their husband and their children. You don't have to teach women that. But you have to teach them how to be friends with their husbands and to show fondness to their, their husbands and to their children. That is a different aspect of love that they need to be encouraged to do. Because I'm sure any woman here who's raised a family will tell you one of the hardest things to do is to manage a husband and raise children. Because they seem to always not listen and apply the lessons learned. They always have to come back over and over and over trying to learn these lessons. But God is encouraging women to Make sure you love your husbands and love their children so that the love is the dominating characteristic that influences and assists them in doing what God's called them to do. So Paul's saying to Titus, you need to make sure this is taught to the younger ladies. This is going to be a challenging thing. As you know, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 through 33, would be the best scripture any older woman could teach the younger women. Any of the older men teaching the younger men read that scripture and apply it. Not only are they to these younger women to love their husbands and love their children, but they're to be discreet. It, this is another place where we see in the, uh, the word, in the Greek word, is self-control. It means careful. Ladies, young ladies, you must be, have self-control. You must be careful as a young lady. You're also to be chaste. It means to be pure or innocence in mind and heart. You should not be cheating on your husband and there should be no indications whatsoever in your behavior or conduct that would cause a man to think anything that that you would be possibly cheating on the husband. That is not acceptable. That's why you should have this innocence or purity of mind and heart. Notice it's an internal mindset and attitude. It's not an external. Yes, there is a purity of, of not to be uh, ordaining in a way that you're flaunting yourself. But he's talking about the attitude, because if the attitude, the heart's right, the exterior will take care of itself. But they're also to be homemakers or managing the home. We see in Timothy that Timothy was to teach the men were to give the women freedom to manage the home. To know what the order, there's order. That doesn't mean women get to control everything in the household. I'm the woman of this household. You'll, husband, you'll just do what I tell you to do. Children, you'll just do what I tell No, remember, it's all in love. You're, you're just going to have the responsibility of making sure you keep order in the house. Remember, these, these guys would have to go to war on months on end. Who's the one that's going to be stable? The children are coming and going and all the schedules. Who do you think is God is created to have the ability to keep the order within the household? Where do you see in the scriptures as man is not good for you to be alone. You're going to die. You know, you've got to have a helper if you don't have someone. Unless you've given the gift of singleness. God has raised women up to do hard things. But he equips you, ladies, to do them. Because he's with you. And he's going to 
work in and through you if you allow him to do that. So the young women must be taught these, this mindset, these attitudes, be discreet, be chaste, and the skill sets of a homemaker to someone that makes sure that, you know, it's involved there. Now, one of the other things I have here is just a simple note is, <laughs> ladies, why did the older women, and why, why, did, why do I teach the fact that you need to love your husband? Because there is a time in your life where you think you can do everything without a husband, without a man in your life. Now, God may make that, that be so at some point, especially when you get to become an older woman. And so, if you've ever been around an older woman teaching you as a younger woman, one of the things that probably will come out in the conversation will be something like this. Value your husband because they may not ever be around. They may not be around. These young women, you're like, okay, of course they're in the, the these, 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 these six-month-old and this two-and-a-half-year-old Kids are going to take us both highly educated men and women down because they're so powerful. And you, you, you join forces just to be able to survive these, this six-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. <laughs> but at some point, the kids grow up and they move on. There's a tendency, my, my ladies, here's a, here's a warning for you. You'll get to the point that says, I don't need the guy around. A guy may say, I don't need the wife around. But young ladies, you hear, should hear from a godly woman say, value the time you have with your husbands because they may not always be around. Because remember, they were going to war. They were going hand-to-hand combat. They may not come back from war. And it was a reality for them. Value your children. They're not going to always be around. Cherish these moments. Pour into their lives for the time period that God has given them to you. Because there is no guarantee. I hope that's what older women are saying to you. Not only are you have the attitudes of discreet and chaste and skill of a, of a homemaker, but you're to be good. That means you're to be kind, young ladies. Be kind to people. You're also to be obedient to your own husband. So this kindness is, isn't always easy in a world that blurs the line between good and evil. I, it's not easy to be kind and good when you're trying to feel like people are always taking advantage of you as a young lady. But you're to be kind. Proverbs 31:26 says it's as clear as I can find it in the scripture. She opens up her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. It's the most impactful verse, I would think, for you ladies, of what you would like your life to be like. When you open up your mouth, you hear kindness as a young lady, as a woman coming off of your tongue. That is wisdom. But obedient to your own husbands is another way of expressing the wife's roles and responsibilities and, and the order that God has designed marriage relationship to be. And you can go back and read Ephesians 5.22, Colossians 3.18. Go back and read those and, and, and be encouraged in what the scripture says. But how important it is for the older women to teach these things to the younger women, to learn, to apply, When Christians don't live in a biblical, godly manner, the consequence, Paul says, is there at the end of that verse is that the word of God may be blasphemed. The ungodly world, you know, your co-workers who are ungodly, 
are listening to you put down your husband or put down your children. I can't stand my children. I can't wait to come to work. That kind of attitude to you really is ungodly. It causes the ungodly to blaspheme the word of God. It blasphemes. And that, you consider yourself a Christian the way you're talking about your husband, and the way you're talking about your children, and the way you're talking about other women in the church. That is what it means to be a godly woman and to follow God and be religious. Not good. Not good at all. That's why we must take account of these things and apply to what the word of God says. Verse 6. Likewise, now we talk to the next guys. You thought you young men were going to get out of this. <laughs> Here you come. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. <laughs> young guys, under 40. There's only one thing for you. You must be in pretty good shape, right? You only have to be reminded to be sober-minded. <laughs> Self-control is what that word means. <laughs> it's the only thing you could probably can focus on any given time is self-control. All these other things apply to you likewise. But Titus, make sure the young men stay focused on being sober-minded, self-control. That's going to be the biggest challenge as a young man. Young men need to learn. It's all it's absolutely what makes the difference. Yes, the things that the young women had to think about, the older men and older women, these things, all the different characteristics are there. But he's saying, Titus is saying to these, these men through Paul here, is that they must understand their biggest challenge they're going to have is being self-controlled. Paul uses the word self-control in multiple words there. We saw it in verse 2, 4, 5, and we'll, in 6 here. It's a virtue that everyone must have in their lives regardless of who, if you're an older man or younger man, or older woman or younger woman. You must have self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit that must be developed. And it must be practiced. Now Paul urges the young men to behave carefully. Be very careful what you say and do. Taking life seriously. Don't be so wrapped up, especially once you, you become an adult at that age of accountability and you hit puberty. You need to learn self-control. If you don't, it's going to wreck your life. It's going to cause you to have all kinds of emotional issues in your life. So as a young man under 40, you must learn and apply self-control. And it has to be developed by the, the Holy Spirit working in and through your life. That's why being absolutely sound in the sound and healthy teaching of the doctrine of the, of, uh, of the word of God is absolutely critical for young men. But it's the only commandment Titus is told to emphasize to young men. But it's probably the most difficult for young men to achieve. In verse 7 and 8, we see that all things showing yourself, and what Paul is saying here, yourself meaning Titus, all these things showing you, Titus, is to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity and reverence and incorruptibility. Incorruptibility means decency and trustworthiness. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say to you. So Paul's saying to Titus, hey, we're talking about all these categories of people in the congregation, but let me make sure you have it very clear, Titus. You're a young man. This applies to you. And as a pastor of a congregation, it really applies to you these things. You must be a leader. You must have this pattern of life that's demonstrated in your life for those who are in the congregation to see your life be that way. You must be sound in doctrine. 
Your pattern of the good works, the things that you're doing, people should see that is good. Not, what is the pastor doing? What's Titus doing? That's, that's, that's careless. That's, that's not loving. That's inconsiderate. That's all. He, they shouldn't, people should not see that in his life. It should not be there as a leader of the church. He should have a seriousness, a reverence, incorruptibility. Again, a decency, a trustworthiness in his life. People should see that. A healthy speech, a sound speech. That means stuff that's coming out of the mouth should not sound in, like the world. Especially as a Christian, you shouldn't, even be, you shouldn't even be swearing. The scripture is very clear on that. But certainly... Young Titus, as a pastor, should not have things that are unhealthy coming out of his mouth that goes contrary to the word of God. It should not be a pattern in his life. It should not say he's perfect. None of us are perfect. But it shouldn't be a pattern in his life. Why? Because at the very end of that, verse 8, that sound speech that cannot be condemned. Whatever you're saying in wherever you go, whatever you do, everybody who's watching your life because you're in a fishbowl, Titus, and when everyone's watching your life, trust me, people are still going to falsely accuse you. They're still going to slander you and they're still going to pick at you and look for any fault because they have a critical spirit. That is going to happen in the church and outside the church. But Titus, please do not change course. Have sound speech. Make sure your life's in order, decency, trustworthy. There's integrity. There's good works, everything. So that anyone who does, an opponent who comes against you, may be ashamed. Now, opponent, who would be an opponent to Titus? What does that really say? I believe when you look at that, that's an opponent, someone within the church that's looking to take his space as a pastor. Someone who's competing against you. Anyone who's trying to get the position of pastoral position and is an opponent... (laughs) you'll always see them looking to discredit the pastor in everything he says and does and butt heads with them. It's, a, it's as clear as can be. Titus, you keep doing it. And when these opponents do come, because they do come, they will be ashamed that they even came out of their mouth that they said anything and anyone listening because your works are good You're solid in the scripture. You have integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, and sound speech. People will look at them and say, are you out of your mind? Who are you talking about? And someone else will correct those opponents. You don't have to do anything. God will remove them. Now we see here that Titus had the responsibility of being an example and in, through his example, his guidance to others as he disciples others up, they will turn around and do the same thing, the same pattern that they see in their leader, Titus. And one we see is, you know, I love how Jesus summarized that same kind of concept of being an example or an opponent falsely accusing to come and shake. Jesus says in John 8, 46, when the angry mob was coming after him to try to take him out, he says, which of you convicts me of sin? <laughs> You're going to come against me? Can you please tell me what I've done wrong that's sinful? That goes against the word of God? Come on, please, bring it up. If you are going to make accusations and try to take me out, come on, raise it up. Let's bring it to light. Happy to have that conversation. That's what Jesus is saying. He did not have to worry about the false mobs coming against him. In verses 9 and 10, 
Exhort the bond service. Now we see the fifth group. We see the bond service or slaves. In those days, the majority of the population were slaves of some type. Now, we have a picture of what we say slaves. It's not the same picture in those days. When they were slaves, that means they, were in, they worked for someone, a master, but they could have run the entire household or business for that master. They could have been a lawyer or been a doctor. They could have been all kinds of, yes, and some in very low positions where they were probably not treated well at all and brutally hurt. But the majority of the population, we call them employees today. That they are working for a company or a master. So keep that in mind for application today. But it says, exhort bond servants, willing servants, those who said, I'm committed to this master to do whatever he needs done, is to be obedient to their own masters. To be well-pleasing in all things. That's one of the requirements. And second one, not answering back, not back-talking to the master. Not pilfering. That means not stealing all the little things, the paper clips, the pens, the paper, and whatever he can find, they're pilfering and taking and stealing. Not to happen. But showing all good fidelity, meaning faithfulness, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. So this last group, these willing servants, we'll call them employees today, are those who are to be obedient to those who have hired them or who they work for. They're to be obedient. They're to be pleasing. Boss, what do you need done today? I need you to clean out the stalls. I'm not, talk I'm not cleaning out no stalls. That's back talking. You, never don't, you don't back talk to your employer. You don't back talk to those who have hired you to do or have providing for you to, to, to be able to have a job. You don't back talk. As Christians, we don't back talk. We don't have that attitude. We don't have that mindset. We're obedient to who God is using to provide for us. Unless it goes against the word of God, then you have to be, God is first and you are obedient to God. But if it doesn't contradict the word of God, we're to be obedient. And we don't talk back and we don't steal from the employer. Even the littlest things, you don't steal from them. But showing all good fidelity, I mean, you're showing your faithfulness. You're on time to work. You do what you say you're going to do. Within your own abilities and the resources they give you, you do what you're able to do. And you do that willingly, not grudgingly. Why? So that they may adorn, glorify, bring to light the doctrine, the truth of God, our Savior in all things. We should be, they should be, Titus was to teach these bond servants. Remember, in these days, the bond servants, the slaves, were in the same congregation with the masters, the owners of where they work. They fellowship together. They worship together. They study the word together. And some of the bond servants may have a calling on their lives and were raised up into a leadership position and could have been the elders and the deacons of that church. Which means their masters had to listen to the elder bond servant that during the day he, they're serving the master. But on a gathering together within the church, now the master is listening and being taught or discipled up by the actual bondservant. That's Christianity. No other religion would you ever see that. And so when they're getting together here, how important it is that their lives as a bondservant, living according to God's word, brings glory or adornment 
to the doctrine, the truths of God. Someone outside of the church will sit there and say, look at that transformed life. Look at that. He's a Christian. They don't, I, he doesn't think I know, but man, everyone knows he's a Christian. He's my best employee. He's faithful. I never have to worry about him. He always does what he's, and he's always kind and gentle. He's always there for, I wish I could have an entire employee staff like that man or that woman. That's how it's supposed to be in the work world. There are no equivalent slaves in our society today. I hope there's none. I'm sure somewhere around the world there are. But here in the United States, here with us, we call them employees and we work to get paid. We provide a service, we get paid to provide a roof over our heads, food on the table and clothes on our back. That's how God provides for us. And we are to be what? Pleasing to our employers, not talking or answering back, not pilfering, but being faithful in what we do. When that happens, Glory will come so bright and clear. People, even non-believers, will pay attention to who God is. And it will be a positive thing. It will be a good thing. It will not have any justification to slander God and whoever he is because of your life is in a mess. It's in order. That is what Titus was to teach his people. That is what the Holy Spirit is teaching us this day through the word of God.